Hi, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. Each week, I ask my guests what they do differently that sets them apart in the workplace, what makes them tick, and what makes them so successful. In this episode, I talk with Erin Tice, Senior Director at Generate Life Sciences. She happens to be one of my favorite clients and somebody I am proud to say I identified as a rising superstar, and she does not disappoint. Welcome to The Indispensables. I'm Bruce Tolligan, and today I have the special pleasure of welcoming Aaron Tice. Aaron is Senior Director of Commercial Operations and Business Intelligence for Generate Life Sciences. And uh, full disclosure, uh, I've known Aaron now for about nine years. When I met her, uh, she was a brand new uh, sales manager at CBR, Court Blood Registry, where I was working as a consultant. And we have stayed in touch all this time. And I have to say that when I write about people who are indispensable in the workplace, uh, those true go-to people, Aaron Tice is exactly the kind of person I'm writing about. So it is a special pleasure to welcome you, Aaron. Aaron, welcome to The Indispensables. Bruce, thank you so much for having me. It is an honor to be on here with you today. I mean, Aaron is one of these people who, you know, you can see in everything she does, how she treats people, how she approaches her work. You can see her star power. And Aaron, tell us your story. How did you get to where you are now? Yeah, actually, I started off um, at Cord Blood Registry, CBR, which is a part of now the Generate umbrella back in 2007. I started off in inside sales. Um, so I was speaking with expecting parents at the time about their options to store their baby's newborn stem cells. It's where I became very passionate about sales, about you know the sales psychology, working with my colleagues to help you know bring this uh, new science really to, to fruition and bringing it out to other expecting families who were looking at storing their newborn stem cells. From there, I, I moved into a role. I had the opportunity as I was a sales rep to mentor and to train other new hires that were brought in um, and built up some experience and ultimately landed into, in a management position um, overseeing a team of 12 to 15 inside sales reps who were speaking with expecting parents. From there, I moved into a director role where I oversaw um, all of the inside sales teams. We had teams in California, just outside of, the, of San Francisco in the Bay Area, and we had a small sales team in Tucson, Arizona. And over the years, I built out the sales team in Tucson, Arizona. Um, it's, of course, a little bit cheaper, a little bit easier to hire out a sales team and build out in Arizona. So we built out our sales team there. Um, and I was you know, thankful for the opportunity to, to go to Arizona. I'm a beach person myself. I like the coast. So I opted to stay on the coast in San Francisco. And thankfully, they picked me up in a chief of staff role, um, actually created this role for me where um, I inherited business intelligence as a function. I also had the opportunity to work more on corporate strategy. And I got to work with aligning our commercial departments, the marketing team, field sales team, and our inside sales team to drive execution of our core strategies um, and uh, the tactics each year. From there, I had two kids in between, so I held the chief of staff title for about four years. It's usually about a two-year stint, but I had a, a baby girl and then a baby boy. And fast forward, I ultimately landed in my current role, which is that senior director of commercial operations and business intelligence. 
um, now overseeing a high-powered, high-performing team of just really amazing people on the field operations side of the house, as well as business intelligence from data scientists to analysts. And I just love what I do, Bruce. You're somebody who's able to extract lessons, I think, from everything you do. It's one of the traits uh, I admire in you. I'm guessing that, and I think I watched this happen in your working life, in your career, actually the experience of selling and then the experience of directing people who were selling, seeing those challenges uh, firsthand and then helping people navigate through those challenges. What did you learn from that up close sales experience early in your career? Yeah, one thing that's that I've taken from that and that carries through even into my role today is the importance of understanding what it is we're trying to do as a company and our, our core mission. And that I feel like is the under underlying, you know, wavelength that kind of carries throughout. And that's, you know, bringing under Generate Life Sciences, we not only do the newborn stem cells, which is really where I kind of grew up um, at CBR, was, was selling the option of storing newborn stem cells. We also have donor egg and donor sperm services. So we now also help create families that otherwise can't create families. And we've got the, the newborn stem cell side of the house. At the end of the day, every number that we look at, now I'm in business intelligence, so we look at a lot of slide decks, a lot of data, and everything is in numbers but knowing that that number at the end of the day translates to a patient, it translates to a baby, to someone who's having a child maybe for the first time and they're going through a lot of decisions and thought processes, taking that knowledge that came firsthand from being an inside sales rep and translating it into strategies today that are driven by the data, I find, find is so impactful for me and, and being able to translate that to my team as well that Every person who banks their newborn stem cells, every number that we add has an impact and can help save or change someone's life in the future. And having that undermined throughout is just, it's, it's huge for me. So you're really emphasizing the mission-driven nature of the work. I am. Um, the mission-driven nature of the work is a huge piece of it for me. Uh, so early in your career, around the time when we, uh, when we met in, in 2012, uh, you had been put in charge of a team of uh, sales folks. And if I may say, I think they had a very tough job and a lot of them experienced it as a tough job because uh, you know you have to be built a certain way to be able to make calls to people and, and, and accept rejection and you know have that formula in your head that uh, every no is a building block, every no is a learning experience. Um, but here you are in charge of a team of 10 to 15. It was a moving target, right? Because sometimes they didn't stay. Sometimes you hire more people. And 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 if you have a hard time uh, figuring out where to put people, you say, let's give them to Aaron because she's a great manager. Would you say early on you gravitated to managing people? I know you're a very supportive manager. You're a very teaching style manager. You took to it naturally. Uh, but what were those early uh, experiences as a leader? What was that like for you? As a leader, um, I had a, the opportunity to work with yet another one of my key role models. Uh, his name is Eric Jones. He did pass back in 2013. Um, he was a phenomenal leader. Um, he was a true servant leader and one who looked to 
empower and grow everyone around him and under him. And he was had such a sense of humility. I took that to heart in you know taking my new um, inside sales manager role and really looked to bring that same type of servant leadership to my team. What I could do to help them, what I could help do to help them improve. But also realizing that, you know, this is a really, really hard job. Um, it is one where you do make 100, 200 calls a day. You accept a lot of rejection. And because you're doing the same thing all the time, it's easy to get an autopilot. And so taking that step back out of autopilot and reminding, and this is where it kind of ties back into the mission, reminding ourselves that these are these are real people who are having babies being empathetic and treating everyone with that same kindness and understanding just helps drive sales. And I mean, early on, you had uh, a lot of salespeople who were, they were having a hard time sticking with it. They were having a hard time maintaining the passion. They were having a hard time not going on autopilot. What do you do in that case when somebody comes to you and your job is to support them, to coach them, to, to teach them, to guide them? You have to dig down deep for that, or does that come naturally to you? I mean, I guess it. I, in many ways, I guess it comes naturally to me. But I've also, you know, again, have, have had the. I'm grateful to have had so many great leaders provide such great examples and to push me and challenge me to grow and learn even more. Um, and back then, that was when you came into the organization um, and helped provide me with a, a great framework of, you know, highly structured one-on-ones providing feedback often and early, being honest about feedback and asking for it, not only from the rep to me as the, the manager and what I could do to improve the tools and the, the resources that I could could provide them, but also doing the same thing you know, back with them and providing them with feedback and uh, the areas of opportunity, but also highlighting where their strengths were and making sure that the team knew that it could collaborate together, work together and share best practices you know, bringing everyone's strengths to the forefront, giving the team opportunities. Um, tying back to the, the leader that I mentioned, Eric Jones, he always said, you know, it's about the feather in your cap. And the feather in your cap was each person that you could train, each person you could teach, each person who could grow, whether they, you know, stayed at CBR, whether they moved on to a new role, every single person that you made successful was a feather in your cap. And so for me, I'm always looking for those feathers in my cap. So uh, did that become part of your mission? It's not just the newborn stem cells, but also each of those people who this is how they feed their family. This is how they start to build a career. Um, your ability to support them and set them up for success became part of your mission framework. Absolutely. Um, and that's, you know, other than the, the mission of the company, which you can see, I'm, I'm very passionate about the, the second reason I've, I've been with uh, Cord Blood Registry at Generate Life Sciences now for 14 years. Actually, two weeks ago, I've been with the company for 14 years. Congratulations. Thank you. Other than, you know, the, the mission and what the company's about, it's the people I work for, it's the people I work with and the, my team gaining those feathers in my cap that truly drive my passion and, and my you know energy for, for this role and for everything at the end of the day. Um, it's about the people that I, that I get to work with. And to be clear, so people who don't know what a senior director of commercial operations and business intelligence, what is that? Um, uh, can you explain just a quick sketch of the team you run and, uh, or the teams you run, like what is this, the, the span of control that, um, for which you're responsible? Sure. So the, the teams themselves have got a, a business intelligence team underneath me. Um, the BI team, we have a, a data scientist. Uh, we do a lot of modeling, prediction modeling, regression analysis. 
We also have um, a number of, of analysts that are dedicated to the specific departments or verticals within the business. So we have one that's dedicated to our inside sales team, for our field sales team, for our marketing team, for the reproductive side of the business. And each of them report up into a director that works underneath me. We do had a huge year this year where we implemented a new business intelligence tool, literally migrated from one business intelligence tool to another, all of the data, all of the reports, the dashboards that the business uses every day to run the business, migrated from one to the other are shutting down the old one. So huge accomplishments um, because I've also learned in, in the last 14 years that uh, you hire people who are way smarter than you underneath you um, and they can, with the right guidance and the right leadership, uh, they can make amazing things happen. Yeah, it's providing the, the data and the data needed to drive the business, to understand how the business has performed. So things of, you know, have we achieved our goals? What are the numbers? How many leads do we have? What are the conversion rates of, of all of the different lead types? Um, the sales performance, how many calls are the sales team making, how many should they be making in order to hit their goals. So all of the analysis that goes into that, the reporting that the business runs on comes from the business intelligence team. And so uh, it's it's not just uh, gathering data, but it's reporting data. And it's not just reporting data, but projecting into the future based on, on the data reports uh, here's what we need to do next, or here's what, if we do X, Y, and Z, here's what's likely to happen. You nailed it. It's it's taking that data, not just here's the data for, here's the report, this is what the dashboard shows, but here's the trend that we're seeing. Here's what that trend means. What's the insight that goes along with the data uh, that's coming through? And how do we use that data to drive action in the business? Um, and how do we use that data to drive future strategy? And tell us about the commercial operations side, that because it, it meets up right? It, 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 the commercial operations side uses the business intelligence, right? Absolutely. There's a, a significant crossover. Um, so from a field operations side of the house, it's, you know, how many co- our collection kits that we have in the field, making sure we're managing those, making sure that those don't expire, that, that the reps that are in the field, which is uh, basically across the United States, we have 45 different territories where reps... Yeah. Are there speaking with doctors about the options that their patients have to store newborn stem cells? Um, So they manage collection kits, which are the materials that the doctor would need to perform the cord blood collection. It comes in a little box. Um, We want to make sure that those are not expiring. So we have a a team that, that manages collection kits, that manages our call strategy and call planning for the field, training for our field sales team the tools, the technology that the team uses to to drive the business and to run the day-to-day business, and our healthcare provider network, which offers a a fee for service for the doctors to perform the cord blood collection. All of that is managed underneath my team. And so we use the the data coming from the business intelligence team to help uh, derive the right plans to focus on um, on the field operations side of the house. And that's what my my team uh, does. I also work a lot, quite a bit on the corporate strategy. Um, I'll run projects, uh, so things like implementation of new pricing tools. Or in 2018, we um, had a we integrated uh, with California Cryobank, and then we became Generate Life Sciences. I helped co-lead that integration um, on the CBR side and the due diligence um, pre-sale. My role is uh, a little bit jack of all trades with some. Uh, defined areas underneath, you could say. But uh, uh, corporate strategy, I mean, uh, the nexus of commercial operations and business intelligence is a great place from which to have insights about corporate strategy. 
Absolutely. I feel like I'm right in the driver's seat and I've got all the right information being fed to me. I know exactly where I'm going on this map and, and I'm able to give that to give the, the data and, and those insights um, to those who need it or to empower my team to do the same. What was it like to, to help lead an integration? That's that's that is no small thing. It is no small thing. Um, that was incredibly fun. You know, getting to work with uh, your counterparts um, as you're kind of merging together under one umbrella. Again, this is where the people come into play. The team that I got to work with then, the team that's still you know very much here today running the business is truly incredible to work for and with. We had to merge everything from the commercial side of the business. How do we take two different stem cell brands and merge them into one stem cell brand? You know, how do we merge our records so that way everyone is showing within the same systems, our field operations? What does our footprint look like in the field after an integration, um, after a carve out? Uh, we were actually part of a, a pharma company. Uh, CBR was part of a pharma company called AMAG prior to joining Generate Life Sciences. So it was also carving it out of AMAG Pharmaceuticals and then combining with this, this shared entity to become Generate Life Sciences. It was exciting fun and challenging. It's one of the most exciting parts about my role is that I never quite know what I'm going to be getting into next. The opportunities are uh, seemingly endless and are exciting and challenging across the board. But at your young age, I mean, you were a veteran of uh, a lot of business transformation at CBR. I mean, uh, when, when, when we met, uh, CBR had, had been acquired by uh, an investment uh, group uh, in 2012 after uh, being uh, led by a genius founder uh, named Tom Moore. And then uh, in, I guess, 2015, AMAG um, made the decision to, to buy CBR. And then so you've now been were part of the leadership of the carve out and the, the new uh, business integration uh, that led to generate life sciences. I mean, that is a lot of business transformation to live through. It's a huge, the, from being on the, the diligent side of the house and actually having to report out to, you know, it was about 15 different entities that we could have been sold to. Um, it was incredibly exciting, um, high pressure, which I thrive under that high pressure kind of environment. It's exciting for me, but then, it, you know, Blending with this perfect, perfect company, California Cryobank, really reminded me of, of the best of both worlds under Tom Moore, that family-owned kind of feel to the company, and where you've got that community, community feel where people truly care about one another, combined with the organization that GTCR had and that process and structure, uh, truly an incredible transformation of the company that we went through. I think more exciting for me, or just as exciting for me, was the opportunity that I had after that. Um, so after getting to co-lead the integration of CBR and, and California Cryobank into Generate Life Sciences, I also had the opportunity to lead the integration of Evercord, which is a smaller cord blood bank, a carve out from another company, um, got to lead 17 different work streams to integrate um, Evercord into our business. That was a phenomenal experience. I got to work with people from every department in the business. And, and, and you are every step of the way, you're a learning machine and you become this repository of institutional memory, wisdom, skill, knowledge, relationships. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in just a minute. This is Cam Marston, host of What's Working with Cam Marston. 
a radio show and podcast featuring the trends shaping today's workforce, workplace, and marketplace. My guests give insights into the trends shaping their business with the hopes that something they say will spark an idea that will make each of us a little bit better at whatever it is we do. Recent guests have included a Tony Award-winning actor talking about how people in his industry create high-performing teams in a short amount of time to deliver spectacular stage performances. A national brand manager for a nearly 200-year-old whiskey company discussing their plans to attract the next generation of consumer to their product. And an educator discussing how and why boys are struggling so much in academics today. Find What's Working with Cam Marston on your favorite podcast app and consider subscribing. We're back with Aaron Tice, Senior Director of Commercial Operations and Business Intelligence at Generate Life Sciences, uh, and uh, a person I, I truly admire and somebody who um, is, is like a poster child for continuous improvement and excellence at work, and somebody whose approach to relationships I think is well worth emulating. Aaron, how would you describe how you approach relationships at work? First off, I... I- seek out forming new relationships with almost everyone I, I can. Um, I want to know everyone in the company. If I see someone who's in a meeting for the first time and I haven't met them before, I'm going to go out of my way to introduce myself. I want to make sure that they know that I'm I'm here um, as a resource for them. And my philosophy really is in that servant servant leadership, but it's also in, in you know, service to those around me, whether it's somebody who's working for me or uh, one of my colleagues or somebody I'm working for, um, focusing on what I can do to help them be better at their jobs or, you know, making sure that I'm providing them with the resources, the knowledge. Um, I think you brought up before that I'm, you know, kind of a repository for a lot of information and I want to make sure that I share that information and that knowledge. There's a couple other other pieces too. I always approach everything with kindness and caring. Um, I truly believe that you know being a, a good workplace citizen, I believe as you call it in, in your books, is you know starting off your day on the right foot, saying please and thank you. Um, you know, using salutations and emails is just core to me and who I am. Um, I'm always going to say thank you if you do something for me. I'm always going to say please if I'm asking for something from you. And I'll take accountability and responsibility. So I, I truly believe that as a, a leader and as just a workplace citizen in general, you know, knowing where your strengths are, knowing where your weaknesses are and your opportunities are and, and owning up to that and being honest about it, not only with yourself, but with those around you does help build trust and helps, you know, strengthen the relationships that you have or the ones that you're, you're trying to build. How do you signal to somebody that you're not just networking for the sake of networking, right? But that you're seeking to find opportunities to add value or, 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 or you're seeking to find ways you can give this person an opportunity to add value. How do you signal that? I mean, it, okay, you've been in the same organization for 14 years, so you have a reputation. If somebody is smart enough to ask around, they'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah Aaron, you, you, that's somebody you want to know. But how do you signal that in the absence of reputation? For me, it's aligning on, on what those business priorities are. And, and if everyone is aligned to the same business priorities and you've got that extreme alignment across the board, then if everyone's marching in that same direction to drive the same, same results, then when you're asking questions like, what can I do to help you succeed? Um, or what can we do together to, to make this successful? 
it's all in the name of, of you know, the business or the, the mission at hand that you're trying to accomplish. And I do try to make sure that that is clear in my communications that the objective and what we're trying to accomplish is, is there, it's known, and we're all agreed, we all agree to it and we're all aligned to it. And, but, but let's say, you know, sometimes people, um, if they're new in a situation, they're, you know, maybe they're more entrepreneurial about the relationships they're seeking. They're, they're looking around like, are you, are, are you a big shot? Are you somebody important? I mean, how do you cut through that kind of networking for the sake of networking? How do you cut through that and uh, signal to people the kind of authenticity of service that you really do bring to the table? Yeah, for me, it's it's about just being consistent in, in how I approach things and the delivery of things. Doing what I'm going to do when I say I'm going to do it. Seeking feedback um, from them. And, you know, if somebody's, I guess, looking for opportunities for networking, it's about collaborating with them then to to find out how we can drive value together, how we can you know work together to to advance something forward. Um, for me, networking for the sake of networking, uh, it just isn't quite enough. I feel like there's always something that we can be doing. Two birds, one stone. We can be driving value while we're networking and building our relationships. And it's about finding those value, the value that we can can drive in each individual moment, whether it's about the business or it's about the relationships or about creating high performing teams. But I mean, like, so do you have to prove it in the execution? Do you have to sort of play a little bit of a longer game and let somebody see, you know, that you do deliver when you promise? Or if you're asking for something, it's a good ask. Uh, or or are, are there ways to call people out early on and sort of raise a flag and, and, and let them know, give them signals early on? about how you're approaching the relationship. I, I think you're uniquely effective at making people see that, oh, this is probably somebody who'd be a good one to know. How do you do that? I think it is a really great question and it is one that is hard to answer. You know, perhaps it's in asking more questions and gaining more more knowledge about, you know, what it is that the person is trying to achieve, what they're trying to seek, how they're trying to, to add value to their organization, how they're trying to grow, what they want, what their interests are, what they want to be involved in, seeking understanding, asking questions and, you know, being truly interested in what they have, but also, you know, sharing with them the value that you could bring you know, and being honest about you know, where that line is, like what you know and what you don't know. And, and that's a, a, probably a big piece of it for me too, is, is truly being, being honest. So authenticity uh, has its own value, right? It's, it's not just a pure value. It, it has an effect on others. When you conduct yourself authentically, people notice, or at least a lot of people do. People notice, yeah. And, yeah, and, and you're also, you're, you're sort of describing a, a fundamental curiosity. And I think especially if you have position power, which you now do, right? You're a senior director. So when you express interest and curiosity about someone else's goals, about uh, their skills, about their the opportunities they're seeking, that you have that position power that you know they're going to want to engage in that conversation. How do you do that with lateral colleagues? How do you do that with people who are in senior roles? How do you approach those relationships in ways that are still clearly service oriented and still authentic? I think the thing with me is that I'm I'm fairly consistent. So whether it's somebody on my team, whether it's someone one laterally, one of my colleagues, whether it's, you know, someone vertical, someone higher up on the, the chain than me, I'm going to treat them with the same respect, the same kindness, the same questions, 
my commitments to them are, are going to be no different than the commitments to my team. And so for me, it is actually about being very consistent and applying that same service orientation across no matter who you are. And I believe that that comes through. It does. And I think, you know, uh, it's interesting because I'm learning as you're talking because I'm thinking, yeah, what you don't get buffeted too much by incoming fire, right? That you you maintain a certain kind of equilibrium, that you stay on message, you stay interested, you stay focused on your goal. Tom Moore used to use the expression true north, right? You know where your true north is. I know where my true north is and I, I stick with it. And how much of that is just like who you are and how you've always been and how much did you have to learn to be that way? I think there's always been a part of it that's inherent within me. Um, I've been that kind of high achiever, wanting to do better and wanting to know where I could do better. I remember as a kid growing up, I was a, a mentor and a, a tutor for other for other kids. I truly enjoyed that. And I still do today. I, I love watching other people succeed. And there's nothing that is makes me happier than watching other people be successful and, and happy. And so at the end of the day, that's that's always what I'm trying to drive for. Does that ever get in the way of being able to realize your ambitions? I think sometimes uh, people think uh, the world is dog eat dog and, you know, you got to fight your way to the top. And But I wonder if do you think it's ever cost you in terms of being able to realize your ambition? I do believe going back to, you know, the, the kindness, um, there's a difference for me between, you know, being nice and being kind. So that, you know, being nice, you know, hey, how are you? Kind of, you know, the the fluff that goes along with it. Being kind also means, you know, being that nice person who's going to say, you know, your hellos, your pleases, your thank yous um, along the way, but also setting clear expectations, um, setting expectations for my team, for those across laterally for me, and even setting expectations for my own boss and being very clear and, and raising my voice, uh, you know, not not loud, um, but raising my voice up when I when I need to say something, I'm going to say it. And I know that uh, you and I are aligned on the principle of extreme alignment. Um, what, what are some of the things you do to, to create that extreme alignment in your working relationships? Lots of communication early, um, seeking feedback one early uh, on my own work, providing feedback early and often on, on my team's work, clear communications and, and setting those expectations. You know, one of the things that you recently came in and, and spoke with my own team about uh, meeting etiquette, you know, you have the right reasons for a meeting, you get the people, get everyone in a meeting, and then it's setting that objective for the meeting. Does everyone understand why they're there? Do you have the right people in the meeting? And then beyond that, it's taking clear notes, making sure that the action items are really clear coming out of things, reiterating it before you even end the meeting that these are the action items I have captured for today are we aligned to that? Does that make sense? Do these timelines make sense? From there, publishing those those action items out. So it's in writing. So everyone's on the same page. And then if anything changes along the way, making sure that you've got feedback or clarity and communication back out to that group in the right format. So that way everyone is constantly working off of the same sheet music, singing the same song. Yeah. And, and you know, it's funny because um, one of the things I often have to convince people of is it's worth the time to do that. People say, well, you know, oh, we're all in a hurry. Nobody has time for that. I don't want to slow my colleagues down. And I sometimes have to convince people, no, you're going to save time over time. That alignment is going to create 
greater efficiency and help you avoid unnecessary problems that will be hugely time consuming. You avoid double work, um, you know, getting the right people in the right room or making the, the right people making decisions and aligning to the right things allows for focused execution. If you slow down your decision making process and make sure everyone is bought in, then you can have much faster execution. But if you don't have that extreme alignment up front, then you find yourself aligning with one person in one department, another person in another department. We have different thoughts, different beliefs. And suddenly, you know, you've got a duplication of efforts or, you know, not everyone marching to the in the same direction. And therefore, your execution is, is much slower. It just takes more time. So taking the couple of extra minutes up front to gain that alignment and making sure those expectations are clear, that those action items are clear, that everyone knows what we're trying to accomplish, allows us all to get excited about it too and make sure that everyone knows what they need to do to get the job done. I know you also are, are a great practitioner of self-management. Uh, do you have like a routine? What's your self-management routine? I thrive on routines. Um, so I wake up almost at the same exact time every morning at 6 a.m. I'm up. I drink my cup of water first thing. I want to make sure I'm refreshed, make my coffee. I make my kids lunches. And then I go right into my exercise routine every morning. I'm doing something, whether it's yoga or Pilates or a walk with a dog outside. And then I, I have my take my shower, have my breakfast. And by 9 a.m. every single day, I'm ready for work 100%. And I work from home, but I'm dressed as if I'm going into the office because I find that that routine every single morning is what sets me up for success for, for that day. I'm able to prioritize I'm able to think clearly and and just hit the go button when I when 9 a.m. comes and I'm ready to go. I mean, that's extraordinary. So you have this three hours uh, where it's your time and you use it how you want. Um, and so by nine o'clock, uh, you've already had a good chunk of your day that's self-building time. Self-building. I've, I've eaten, I've showered, and I've, I've spent time with my kids and I've gotten my exercise in and then I'm truly ready to, to start my day. Um, I find it's also important, you know, especially, uh, and we're in a remote environment now where I am glued to my computer screen for, you know, eight hours a day. So taking those breaks, um, thankfully, I do have a dog that needs to go outside often. So I take breaks, you know, go for a quick walk with him, come back, fresh mind. I listen to music. I, I make fun with the work too. So if I'm, you know, working on an analysis or, or something like that, I, I have music on in the background and I am definitely dancing and maybe even singing along to it because why not? So, so uh, it's, it's not like just because you're a person uh, of routine uh, doesn't mean that it has to be antiseptic. It can still be fun. It can absolutely be fun and it should be fun. Yeah. And because and much of what you're doing is crunching numbers and trying to understand analytical patterns and data, uh, data sets and being able to give good advice based on data. Right. So that's that that, that requires uh, a lot of brain work. It does. And that that's where the team comes into play. Again, you hire people that are far smarter than you. Grab them all together. Uh, grab the right folks in the in the right room to brainstorm, and suddenly you've got you know two or three people looking at at the data and trying to mine for those insights and taking one idea and building off of it and then building off of it a little bit more. The work can be so fun, and I do try to bring that into my work every day. No matter what what it is I'm working on, whether it's a slide deck, can I perfect this? Can I make this even prettier? Can I have fun with this? Um, down to the analysis or getting into the nitty gritty of data validation. Everything can be made made fun if you try 
to turn it into something that's fun. Yeah. I often say, you know, uh, what you want to do is find people for whom really complex, difficult, highly productive, high quality tasks are fun. <laughs> that's who we're looking for, right? Uh, so, but, but what happens if your routine gets disrupted? What ha- I mean, some people, they, their lives are not so predictable. They can't follow that kind of routine. You have to be adaptable. Uh, maybe you have the luxury that, that, that you're able to, to discipline yourself and your life uh, around that routine. Yeah, I, I do try to discipline my, myself around the routine. You know, that being said, I have a four and a half year old and a two and a half year old. So routine gets thrown out the window fairly often. So it's not not uncommon that, uh, you know, I might not get my workout in or don't get a chance to drink my coffee until I'm in my first meeting. And that's totally okay. You know, going with the flow and, and making sure that you know what your priorities are every single day, you know what you have to accomplish, you know what you need to get done, who you need to connect with. Um, and just going with the flow, being adaptable is is a huge part of, I think, my success and the success of even our, our business. Um, you know, you've seen over the, the last year, 2020, it's required all of us to be a lot more adaptable. Um, so going into it each day with that mindset that there's going to be fires that are going to be thrown at you. There's going to be things that, that are going to happen that are outside of the norm and it's about how you handle it, how you get back up and how you continue forward and, you know, making sure you've got the right folks there to help you along the way. You've just uh, offered a tremendous object lesson in how structure and discipline and parameters really can be the fuel of adaptability that, uh, it, you know, if you have to improvise, if you have to wing it, it, it helps so much to have a basic structure and discipline from which to improvise. And so that's, that's a good object lesson. Uh, what about, uh, uh an elevator pitch of advice? If you, if you have to leave somebody with, um, okay, somebody saying, how do I get to be like Aaron Tice? Uh, what, what what's your advice? I think there's, you know, three things to to focus on. One is how can I get better at producing higher quality work, whether it's having a retrospective on a project or seeking feedback, collaborating and learning from others, asking questions, self-evaluating and, you know, looking at, okay, what if I could do this again, what would I do differently? And taking those lessons and incorporating them into the, the next thing that you do, whether it's an analysis or a sales pitch or doesn't matter what you're working on, acknowledging that you can improve and, and constantly looking back and going, what can I do to, to be better? The next is, I think, productivity. So can I do more? Um, where can I do more? And if I can't do more, you only have so many hours in the day. Can I be focusing that energy in a different place? Am I working on the right stuff? And so constantly looking at that, that's for me, it's the prioritization having a good prioritization system and an organization system, I'll plug in as well. Pretty critical. Um, for me, I use one that maybe is a little bit more old school. I, I do sticky notes. I literally have sticky notes on my computer. I use one screen that says, this is the stuff I absolutely have to get done today on my wall next to me. These are my, my other items and my backlog and progress with deadlines and everything tied to them. So that way I know exactly where I am on everything all the time. Um, I live by these sticky notes. Some people like Trello, some people like Excel, Whatever system works for you, just have a system. And then the final thing is my behavior, my communication. Is it clear? Is it concise? Am I being polite, kind? Am I setting clear expectations for my team, for myself, for those around me? Am I scheduling meetings for the right reasons with the right people? 
And, you know, is there anything I can else I can do in my own behavior? Or do I have the right attitude and mindset to move forward? And that attitude and mindset is maybe another really big key one for me, being positive and, and having that sense of, of humility and knowing that I can definitely improve in many areas is perhaps another piece of the puzzle. Great advice. Aaron Tice, thank you for being a guest on The Indispensables. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on, Bruce. It was fantastic. In our next episode, I talk with two leaders from Northrop Grumman, Scott Summer and Christina Cull-Martins, to celebrate the 75th anniversary of the Northrop Grumman Management Club. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at goto underscore podcast. That's at goto underscore podcast. Learn more about GoToism in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, wherever books are sold. And you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com. Until next time, stay strong and stay indispensable.